0: Our sermon today comes from Psalm 77, and you can find that on page 488, I believe, in your pew Bible. Sometimes we simply lack the words for what we're experiencing. And so this summer we're exploring different types of psalms to get help answering questions like, How do I praise God? How do I express the trust that I put into Him? How do I talk with Him about my own sin? What do I say to Him when I feel like I'm drowning beneath the troubles of this life? The Psalms speak into all these and more real-life questions. The Psalm writers speak into every life moment, not because they had all the answers in themselves but because they knew the Lord who cares about all of life. The Psalms flow from a worldview that begins with the Lord Himself, what He's like and what He does. Let's take a look at those worldview questions again. Uh, the questions and answers that were developed by Jay Sklar. Can we pull those up? Do we have those? That's Okay. Oh, you got them. All right. Thank you. All right. I'll read the question if you could read the answer. First, who is the Lord? The God of steadfast love and justice. What does He do? He blesses and protects those who embrace His covenant from the heart while demonstrating His justice against those who rebel against Him. When does He do these things? Often in the here and now. And certainly in the world to come. So what should we do? Embrace his covenant from the heart and wait patiently yet fervently for his justice. Uh, We used to run through these questions every single day in Jay's class and I have found them to be so valuable. I'm going to keep using them with us. Hopefully they'll imprint on you too. But today we're going to be focusing in on a on a felt tension between a couple of those questions, between what does he do and when does he do them, because we heard that he blesses and protects those who embrace his covenant from the heart. But there is a vast difference of experience between him doing that often in the here and now and all the time. In other words, we know that the Lord is good, and we also know that we still hurt today. And that both things are true is often a confusing time for us. It's prov- it provokes big questions in our hearts. But that's exactly why there are so many psalms like the one we're going to consider today. They're called Psalms of God lament. There are dozens of these songs of hardship and sorrow, and in them we hear no fantasist faith pretending that everything's just fine. No forced smiles or silly promises of your best life now. There's none of that. In Psalms of Lament, there is an honest realism about life in a fallen world where God's people hurt And those who love evil seem to prosper. And yet in these psalms, there is also a deep belief that our God sees and cares and is committed to act. And so then and now, these psalms acknowledge that suffering remains a regular part of a believer's life. And at the same time, these model prayers, Jay Sklar says, these model prayers help us to know what to do and what to feel when sorrow and suffering comes. Until the Lord Himself comes to continue what He's begun with love and justice. So these precious songs give us the words that we need to take our pain to God in faith. And we hear one of those in Psalm 77. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, we we do come to You. Father, we confess the confusion that we experience. And we ask, Lord, for the ears to hear, the eyes to see, the grace that You have for our people, even as we wait on You to do what You do. But we come to You with confidence and hope because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come in His name, asking You to help us. Amen. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He, in anger, shut up His compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I have yet to see a Pixar movie that I did not like and Inside Out is certainly no exception. Detailing 11-year-old Riley's move, her difficult move with her family, the story brings us into her pain of leaving friends and hockey and childhood itself in Minnesota only to arrive in the pizza-ruining city of San Francisco. (laughs) We're brought inside her head to see her joy, And sadness, her anger, her fear, her disgust, getting to know each emotion personally. Now, there are lots of lessons in that movie, but the one that helps us today is profound. Riley learns that you can feel two things at the same time. Joy and sadness can coexist, blending together in the memories that we form and which in turn form us. And there's something like that here in this psalm. Two emotions that come together. For God's people in pain, there is something more than pain to be experienced. The grace in this lament is that there are two things that are open to us when trouble comes. And although they seem paradoxical at first, Faith allows us to hold them both together. First, we can cry in our distress. And second, we can live in courage. We can lament and we can keep going. Consider first how this psalm helps us understand how we can cry in our distress first of all this is a tremendous grace that god gives to us as we see that it is okay to cry out in pain the psalmist is not shushed he's not berated as unbelieving he isn't berated for expressing his grief and he himself doesn't count it as a holy thing to keep quiet on the contrary in verse 1 he's confident that when he gives voice to his anguish God will hear me he says and under the inspiring guiding hand of God's Spirit this song is given to you to free you to give voice to your pain here and now you can rest assured that God hears you too because the Spirit says, the Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. And He also hears their cry and saves them. But the question came to me, what does it mean then to cry well? What does it mean to cry well? Because there's a difference between faithful lament over a situation and just plain old angry complaining. They do start similarly with the realization that something's wrong, but then they move in totally different directions. So first consider that like complaining, crying well means acknowledging that there's actually something going on. Look at verse 2 where Asaph talks about The day of trouble. Now, we aren't told any details about what that day of trouble looks like, but we don't really need those details, do we? Because we're not interested in comparing our troubles to his to see which one is worse. Rather, we recognize that although they differ in degree or kind, trouble is trouble. And the symptoms that we see in the psalmist feel familiar to us because we've known trouble too. In verse 4, we see the sleepless nights. He says, you hold my eyelids open. We hear the refrain of any person who is confused and hurting. He says, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. That's not very far from what you and I hear. When we talk to a brother or sister who's hurting and they say, I don't know what to say. How many times have you said that when a day of trouble came and it was just too much? I read the story this week of when the wife and children of Henry Brown, a slave in Richmond, Virginia, in the 1800s, it tells the story of when his wife and children were to be sold away, Brown himself searched for a white master who would buy his wife and children to keep the family together. And he failed. Henry himself says, The next day, I stationed myself by the side of the road, along which the slaves, amounting to 350, were to pass. Pretty soon, five wagon loads of little children passed, and looking at the first one, what should I see but a little child pointing his tiny hand toward me, exclaiming, there's my father. I knew he would come and bid me goodbye. It was my eldest child. Soon the gang approached in which my wife was chained. I looked and beheld her familiar face. But oh, reader, that glance of agony, may God spare me again, ever enduring the excruciating horror of that moment. She passed. And came near to where I stood. I seized hold of her hand, intending to bid her farewell, but words failed me. The gift of utterance had fled, and I remained speechless. I followed her for some distance, with her hand grasped in mine, as if to save her from her fate. But I could not speak. I was obliged to turn away in silence. You may not have had a day like Henry Brown, but what was your day of trouble? What's happening now that's robbing you of sleep? What is it leaving you feeling confused and speechless? Maybe the things that are happening in your family leave you bewildered and angry. Maybe your kids are getting into things that can destroy them and your helplessness is obvious to you and to them. Or maybe you've been put into an impossible position at work by a boss who does not care about your convictions or your king. Maybe it was the doctor's words that left you speechless. Or maybe you are pained by a way that you have sinned or been sinned against. I know of a woman, not of this church, who found out yesterday about her husband's long-term affair. A day of trouble came to both her and her husband. To, be, to sin or to be sinned against makes any day a day of trouble. Whatever the details of your day, it is vital that you acknowledge what is going on, that something's wrong. One of the great lessons of all the Psalms of Lament is that it's okay to talk about your negative emotions. You don't have to pretend that everything's fine as if you're a lesser person for struggling. But once we begin to talk about our pain, from here we see where faithful lament and unbelieving complaining part ways. Because some blame the Lord for the circumstances that are causing their hurt, and they want to get far away from Him. But faithful lament goes to the Lord with negative feelings. In pain, we actually draw closer to Him. And that's the second thing that we see about crying well, that we see in this psalm. We must move toward the Lord in our pain. This is another of the great lessons of the Psalms of Lament, and you have to, To hold it together with the first. It's okay to talk about what's hurting you. But we must look to God in our pain. We see that here in verse 1. He cries aloud to God twice. Emphasizing the direction that he's heading. He says in verse 2, I seek the Lord. Stretching out his hands in prayer in the night. There is definitive directionality here. He's moving toward the Lord, because although he's aware of the sovereign power of God, that it's actually the Lord at work in His situations, he still knows that there is no other hope, and so he moves toward Him. What are you doing with your feelings? Where are you taking them? Are you acknowledging them and? taking them to the Lord who hears you or are you pressing them down trying to avoid those negative emotions are you seeking some other some lesser savior to numb those feelings or to help you escape you see we all experience pain in this life and we always seek some kind of relief some solution some escape We might want to bottle it up, put a cork in it so that it never comes out. But ultimately, that's impossible. Because we are not bottles. We are sieves. And if you do not go to God with your hurts or anger or confusion, then they will leak out of you some other way that is bound to be insufficient, disobedient, ultimately destructive. That's not to say that it's easy to go to the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says, When I remember God, I moan. It seems to me that he moans likely because he knows God has the power to change his circumstances, but has not. And as the psalm progresses down to verse 6, we hear how the psalmist begins to explore his own heart, searching out his feelings, and ultimately arriving at some big questions. Questions that we need to ask ourselves. The questions of verses 7 to 9 are really the heart of this lament. These are the questions of a bewildered, doubting heart, and they are exactly the right questions to be asking on a day of trouble. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? When the psalmist searches deep in his heart, these are the questions he finds. Have you found them in your heart too? They're honest questions. They are not wrong to ask. And again, we see God's grace as he welcomes his people to ask these questions of him, inviting us through the words of this scripture to approach him, even with our doubts, even with our fears, Because he's big enough to handle them. As one writer puts it, this is a clear example of the value of confessing our doubts to God. It's a strange comfort to know that other people are hurting too. But hearing this song of Asaph somehow assures us that we are not alone in our experience of this world and although we wonder it sometimes this psalm actually assures us no we're not crazy there really is something wrong here and other people have noticed it too from asaph we learn that while we can cry well in our distress though there is yet more that we can do we learn that we can also live in courage We can have both of those things. We can cry in our distress. We can also live in courage. We see that in verses 10 to 19 where the psalmist turns outward. He turns out from this inner monologue that he's been having in the first half of the psalm. And he answers his own big questions by looking back over the history of redemption, remembering the Lord's power, remembering the Lord's goodness that is already shown. And what he remembers reinvigorates him. Verse 10 is the turning point of this whole psalm of lament, where once his memory of God was a source of moaning because his eyes were fixed on his present condition, his present circumstances. Now his memory becomes a source of hope. He says, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That right hand is a reference to God's power, His strong right arm. And so he's calling to mind the long years, the long history of how God has displayed His power to His people. And as one writer says, that right hand, so far from failing, links the past to the present, full of promise. And so in verses 11 and 12, the psalmist commits himself to focus on the deeds of the Lord. Notice how he subtly shifts to use the covenant name of God. In the first half of the passage, he refers to the Lord, Adonai, my master, he calls him. And yet now the Lord is Yahweh. Yahweh. Before, he submitted to the Lord as his master, but now he remembers his God as the covenant maker, the covenant keeper, whose power and goodness have been known and experienced by generations of his people. And so he turns his thoughts away from his day of trouble and toward the one whose way is holy. In verse 13, The holiness of God's way in verse 13 is a source of comfort in the midst of confusion. To say that his way is holy is to say that God's ways are totally other than ours. God doesn't do what we expect God to do. And that's good news for us. God does exactly what He knows to be right in His infinite wisdom, His infinite love, His infinite justice, His infinite mercy. And in our finiteness, we need to bow the knee to that and receive that from Him, confessing that His ways are holy. It's to confess, ultimately, that against what we fear, He is as distant from sin or wrongdoing toward us or capriciousness toward us. He's as far from that as the east is from the west. And in the story of redemption, the Holy One has revealed Himself as one who is fearful as an enemy, but glorious as a friend. And indeed, this Yahweh, this God, is more than a friend to His people because He names Himself as their redeemer, their goel, their kinsman redeemer, which means he has brought them into his very own family. He claims them as his own kin, as his own children. That emphasis on the Lord's redeeming work of rescuing his own children, it comes into focus in verses 14 and following. With the hope That as he was in the past, so he is today, even on a day of trouble. Look at verse 14. The same God who has done mighty deeds in the past is presently the same. He says, you are the God who works wonders. Whatever care he provided to his suffering people in the past, we can expect the same care from him. Even if we have to wait for it. Consider, just consider in verse 15 why it it mentions Jacob and Joseph specifically. The children of Jacob and Joseph. Why are they mentioned? Well, the children of Jacob and Joseph became slaves in Egypt. Their offspring were slaves for 400 years. And think about Jacob and Joseph themselves, the tremendous suffering that they had experienced over their long sojourns on this earth. When Jacob met Pharaoh, after he had been reunited with Joseph and brought down to Egypt, rescued as an old man, Jacob described his years as few and evil. And Joseph... How many of us have reason to lament like Joseph had? And yet their faith endured. Jacob later confessing after living for years in Egypt that the Lord had been his, life, had been his shepherd his whole life long. Joseph himself endured as one who saw the unseen Lord. And in verse 15, if he showed, if the Lord showed his love and goodness by redeeming his people then, will he fail? Will he fail to show his love and goodness again at the proper time? No. No, he will not. He showed his care for Israel long ago. And the psalmist remains confident that he will again. Consider verses 16 to 19, as the psalmist focuses on this imagery of waters and thunder and crashing lightning, the imagery here is being pulled from the Exodus, from Israel passing through the Red Sea. You, see, you saw in verse 19 that the psalmist says your way was through the sea, not around, not over, but through the sea. As, he, as the psalmist reflects on his care, on God's care for Israel, he recounts exactly the details of what God has done. And as he recounts these things, not only is his trouble dwarfed, it seems to even be forgotten in his own mind. And we have in this picture of the world a corrective against any of our impressions that God is somehow Far removed, somehow distant from the troubles of his people. This memory of God's power used on behalf of his people long ago would have put courage into the heart of any Israelite, enabling them to continue trusting the Lord beyond what their eyes could see. We may only see a day of trouble. But God Himself sees His plan of salvation unfolding. His purposes for His people unstoppably unraveling, being filled out in history. And we know that just as He cared for His people Israel, just as they could look back on the Exodus and take solace and take comfort, in God's care they could take courage that God had not changed we too can look back and rest in the knowledge that God has proven his care for us not through the Exodus not through the Red Sea but through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ at the proper time God sent his son into the world born of woman born under the law to redeem those under the law to rescue all those who suffer under their own sin and suffer from the sins of other against them the lord jesus himself came in this world he was the one who cried aloud through his own grief through his own pain his was a life of trouble not just a day but a life of hardship as his own family as his own friends rejected him as he was rejected by his own people the messiah of god come to his own and his own did not receive him jesus is held in front of our eyes as a man of sorrows who knew grief intimately And when the time came for him to die, compassion, the very thing that we long for in our sufferings, compassion was withdrawn from Christ so that it could be ultimately given to you. The one who deserved all love, suffered wrath and justice and infinite punishment in his limitless soul. He suffered it all so that you might wear God's love and grace like crowns on your head. The psalmist asked, will he spurn forever? Jesus himself was spurned, forsaken on the cross so that you yourself would never need to doubt again the love and the graciousness of God toward you. It was Jesus who felt the full displeasure against sin so that god's favor could forever rest on you and just as israel passed through the red sea on their way to salvation the holy way of god for jesus was through death not avoiding it here and now this is the answer for how we can both cry in our distress And walk with courage. Courage even in the midst of sorrow and hardship. Seeing the person of Jesus and looking back on what God has done for us in Him is the one thing that will sustain us, will persevere us through. And as you confess Christ and cling to Him, as you make it the focus of your heart's energy to meditate on Him, to To acknowledge your troubles, yes. To take them to the Lord, yes. But as you are committed to lay them at His feet, acknowledging how you've been sinned against and how you've sinned, you keep taking it to the Lord in faith and repentance. But as you see Him, as you remember who the Lord is, you remember that you have the one that you need on your side. Just as we sung in A Mighty Fortress, just as we sing again uh, at the closing song, though our faith be thin and weak, our hope is set on Jesus, and we rest in Him our strength. I want you to imagine how courageous it is. It may seem like a small thing to you right now, but imagine how courageous it is to keep on acknowledging keep on lamenting but keep taking it all and laying it at the lord's feet to continue trusting in him even when he says no to your request for relief or at least not yet what a courageous thing for a person to endure in such faith as a pastor another pastor says god in his wisdom will answer our prayers with a no in order to give us something that he determines to be a better yes. To this, he adds, there is precedent. Jesus prayed that he would not have to go to the cross, and God declined his request so that we could all be saved. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Andrew Brunson, a Christian pastor who spent two years in a Turkish prison For having shared the gospel of Jesus. I know a pastor who recently got to hear Andrew speak. Andrew was incredibly honest about his experience. After 18 months of what he calls complete isolation from any sense of God's presence, this is his conclusion. This is what true victory looks like. That even in God's silence, my heart still cried, God, I love you. I can only imagine the kind of confusion that he must have lived in for those years. How he must have continued asking those hard questions of God. You yourself may live right now in that time of confusion, uncertain about why it is God is doing what he's doing in your life. And it's true that we may never, at least in this life, we may never know the reason why God has allowed, how he, why He has sent such sufferings into our lives. But as another pastor says, the one thing we cannot say is that God does not care about our suffering. Because He entered into it Himself through Jesus of Nazareth to suffer and to die so that we might be redeemed. Ultimately, as God's people, we can cry in our distress, and we can live in courage. And we can do those things simultaneously, ultimately because God still leads his flock. Did you pick up on that imagery in verse 20? You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. To be called a sheep is a terribly unflattering thing. It's a humbling thing. And yet, here at the end of this lament, it is one of the most reassuring things that the psalmist clings to. It's infinitely reassuring. Because we... On this side of the cross, we are being led by someone greater than Moses, a better priest than Aaron. We are being led by Jesus, the Good Shepherd Himself. And although He leads us in strange ways that we do not understand, His holy ways, they don't have to shake us. Yes, we can lament them. Yes, we can approach him and ask him the big questions. But we can approach him with confidence that just as God delivered his people in the past, so he is delivering all who hope in Jesus. And even if your way, his way for you, be through suffering and not around it, even so, the promise of God is that he always leads his people to the green pastures that he promises. His promise is to keep leading you until the day when the good shepherd himself comes, not to deal with sin again, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the promise that we are going to sing about in this closing song, the eternal weight of glory by which, against which we must measure all of our present sufferings. What is today compared to that? unless we fix our eyes on Christ, unless we recount His wondrous deeds in the past, unless we are listening to His promises, we won't have the the ability to relativize our struggles right now. We'll get mixed up and think that things now are heavier than they actually are compared to the glory that is to come. And so as God's people, I want you to learn how to cry in your distress. But I want you to keep going with the courage that your good shepherd is leading you and he will bring you home. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we do thank you for this word. That we are assured that In Jesus Christ, our Lord, through his death on our behalf, through his resurrection, the word is true that death is swallowed up in victory. And Father, we, though we lament now, we groan and we cry out to you under the heavy burdens that you have laid on us. Father, even so, we confess that there is nowhere else to go but to Christ, our savior and our lord. And father in him is comfort and assurance that this this will not always be the case that a day is coming when all the old things all the tears and the sadness and the grief when they're all when they all go away. And what we come to is you and the unshakable eternal kingdom that you have established And you have gifted to us through Christ our Lord. And so, Father, hear our laments, hear our cries, and lead us on in courage. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.